14. This week we got news about microtransactions and Call of Duty and the new Mario Kart mobile game. Good news. There is no good news. Um, we also got our fireside <laughs> chat, um, and we got a great showcase this week. Fucking uh, Link's Awakening and Control, two extremely good games, or so we've heard or have played. Anyway, I'm your co-host, Brent, a.k.a. Arcadia. I'm Andrew, a.k.a. Solid Talker. All right, and let's kick it off. Episode 14. <laughs> uh, news this week. You excited about microtransactions in the news, Andy? You ever get sick of them? Oh, you know, well, you know, I subscribe to Jim Sterling, so they're always in the news for me. I hear about them every day. <laughs> it, it's like a constant, like, that's, in my life, that's just the Muzak that plays in the background, is Jim Sterling talking <laughs> about microtransactions. And at this point, I just find it soothing. <laughs> and his his warm, lovable body is the elevator. Oh, yeah, and his very, very soothing voice. It's kind of like how, you know, after a child is born, you get him a little white noise machine that simulates the sounds of the womb. Like, that's where I'm at. Uh, like, I just, yeah, no, this is this is not no. a weird analogy. Perfectly fine. I just, I need to have that kind of noise from him in the background at all times. Otherwise, <laughs> I feel and realize that I'm not in a safe space anymore and I have a meltdown and I will wet myself. Oh, oh, you, you snowflakes. What, what was the question? Emotions. I, I don't remember. Um, microtransactions. Oh, yeah. So, my favorite. <laughs> all right. So let's, let, let's kick it off with uh, something slightly more expected. Um, mobile games and microtransactions sort of go hand in hand. But Mario Kart Tour, N- Nintendo's latest and greatest, uh, really amps it up to a whole new level. On top of all the microtransactions just to get new vehicles, new characters to drive, they also expect you to pay $5 a month just to race um, in the the faster version of the game. So if you like just plodding around in the slow, mediocre version of the game, you can do that for free. If you want all the new characters and the new cars, you got to pay for them. Uh, it's random gamble style. And then also you have to pay a monthly subscription to be able to race faster in case you get bored of the base game. Not not a one-time fee to like remove ads, which I'm sure something everyone's seen in mobile games. But no, it's a subscription, meaning that you would pay 30 plus bucks a month or a year. Have you have you played this Mario Kart tour game? So I try I tried it a little bit before this episode just to get like understand it better and there's so much that you have to get to before it even lets you gamble and it's not fun that i gave up so oh my god it's the least fun game i've played on mobile in a long time and and i primarily on mobile play solitaire games and match three games <laughs> and those are consistently I played, I think I was telling you about it, weed match three candy jewel match game or whatever the hell it was called. <laughs> yeah, for all and, you reefer maniacs out there. Yeah, crush weed match three candy jewel cool puzzle games by free match three puzzle games firm extreme. <laughs> that sounds like a real game. I believe you. <laughs> it is definitely a real game and not like one of those AI uh, things that writes game descriptions if you feed it enough garbage sample text. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's... I have never been... I've played a lot of mobile games for racing, even, that were considerably more fun than this. The controls are bad. 
the speed is you would have to pay for that that speed uh faster racing because the speed is so slow those races go so slowly it's painful yeah i mean i even i played like magikarp jump for like probably a good two three hours and this Mm. i could barely get through the tutorial i was like when will this end i just want to see like how the microtransactions really are and then it continue to be like oh no before you do anything you have to finish the first cup and i was like well i'm uninstalling this shit yep (laughs) neither here nor there um game's not fun don't support it also no please don't pay a monthly subscription just to play the the real version of the game don't don't give them any money don't give them a dime for it it's just it's so lazy and they've been talking about it for so long and it's it feels like nintendo because they're always so slow with with things on mobile and they're slow with things on network and your multiplayer it it feels like they just you know they just found out about microtransactions <laughs> like it just oh let's just do all of them let's just catch up to all the other companies let's, that have been doing them everything possible yeah they're looking at something like dungeon keeper mobile that um that ea put out a couple of years ago and like, let's just do that let's just yeah. all the things that they did bring it into into our game and let's do it all at once yeah, they continue to use their like key franchises as test beds, and it like just feels bad for the brand. But then again, there's so many fucking people playing mobile games that I guess it makes up for it in profits, and they don't they are able to shower off their their filthy filthy bullshit and sleep well at night. I mean, at least I didn't like it, but at least the Animal Crossing uh, Pocket Camp game made sense as a mobile game. Mm. That style of gameplay from Animal Crossing and from the Pocket Camp game at least made sense on mobile. But the Mario Jump game, I, I don't know, I didn't, I didn't get it. The that Miitomo game or or Miitomo Experience was weird. Like I don't know why yeah. they don't take some of their older, lesser used franchises. Like Pikmin is ripe for mobile use. Brain Age is ripe for yeah, mobile use. Cool. I mean, hell, even yeah, like I feel like Brain Age already spawned a billion other like in, uh, intimidators, intimidators, imitators. Yeah, that that's true, that's true. But I, I mean, Pikmin is is a great place to use, uh, great place to do mobile. Yes. Um, yeah. What the hell? You're what literally the hell just flicking one? Pikmin everywhere. Advanced Wars is a is a great candidate i've played plenty of games like advanced wars on mobile yeah i mean fire emblem is basically the same franchise just in a different universe and that is their most profitable mobile game so yeah, yeah advanced wars like is just begging to be done although fire emblem was also no stranger to microtransactions yeah the entire game is based around like loot box gambling and it's horseshit also but it's like expected horseshit at this point like definitely don't support it <laughs> but also like be aware that it somehow can get worse than that like it's oh so it's like much a, worse <laughs> it's uh yeah I can, I can make some comparisons but i don't think i'm gonna go down that road um yeah so i mean just to jump into the, the console space and more quote-unquote traditional gaming we're seeing this also in the latest call of duty game biggest franchise in the world in console games somehow announces that crossplay like is going to be available 
for for everything and everyone's like oh yeah and it's like basically a remake of the original game that like got call of duty popular in modern warfare mm-hmm. and so, so far sounds good like, everyone's been like yeah it's it's time call of duty's getting back like everyone's gonna be playing this again and then uh just this week they announced that there's an entire mode of the game the one i was most excited for is not going to be on pc or xbox for a year, which means there's going to be another <laughs> Call of Duty game coming out by the time that this mode is out. Also, you can't get guns through pro- traditional progression anymore. They come out of loot boxes. <sighs> what the fuck is going on? I mean, How- this is this is the this is the same company because wasn't it wasn't it um, the Modern Warfare Four remastered? where they sold map packs again. Yep, that's exactly it. <laughs> it wasn't like a game of the year edition, even though it was like eight years after it originally came out. <laughs> and didn't they also actually add, I, I don't want, I don't know if it was loot boxes or just like gun skins to the game yeah. as well. Yep. They added microtransactions to a game, to a remaster that it, they didn't even bundle all the DLC with. <laughs> and also, for like, well, it was like a year, a year and a half where you couldn't buy it standalone. You also had to buy like the That's super right. edition. They held it hostage. Whatever. Yeah, it was literally hostage. And then when they when they saw the sales dip, they were like, eh, we should probably start selling it standalone. And they did. It's just the grossest company, Activision, who's yep. their publisher and IP owner. They, oh, and they I'm sure Activision pushed for a lot of those things as well. If not all of them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you go to the subreddit and look at what the devs are saying, they're like, we wish we had a say in any of this, but we don't own these properties. We don't own (laughs) the publishing rights. We don't make any of these decisions. Please stop shouting at us. And meanwhile, Activision (laughs) sitting on their fucking golden toilets, just (laughs) sharding all over the gaming community and still making hand over fist. They're bad people. They're bad people doing bad things. They, I'm, I'm, I feel very comfortable just saying that. I, I think you're within your rights because like a lot of people try and get away with a lot of shit in the gaming industry and Activision tries to get away with fucking all of that shit. Everything, every single possible grimy move that any other company's done, Activision has also done it or one-upped it. But... I don't want to t- turn into just slamming Activision because... No, I mean, that's fine. I'm happy to slam Activision. I'm sure they know they're gross. Oh, yeah, I, I'm sure they do. And was is that Bobby Kotick? Bobby Kotick? Yeah. Who's the CEO. Activision guy? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure he's very aware of how much everyone hates him. And he's living in his own little bubble where, yeah. oh, they just, they just hate me because they're jealous of me. Or they just hate me because they don't understand capitalism or some nonsense like that. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean... And, <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're going to take capitalism completely literally, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I guess you should just rape the consumer. Cool. Thanks, Bobby. Yeah, he's, uh, well, I don't know. They're lucky that they own companies and franchises that people will just get, hand money to. They will give most anything Blizzard creates money, regardless of how shitty it is people just give Mm -hmm. blizzard money just like people give bethesda money they just give them money they give rockstar money doesn't matter what they do yeah yeah i mean blizzcon still sells out every year even though they haven't announced a new game at it in like nine years (laughs) 
they just go no. to play the same game they, that they can play at home. They they uh, announced Diablo Immortal. That's a that's a mobile game, Andy. I don't. It's it's still it's you? still a new game. They announced a new game. Uh, all right, all right. We're gonna get we're gonna get literal. We're gonna get pedantic here. I see. I see. Did did that even get released? No, I don't think so. I think I saw it in the pre-registration section of uh, the Google Play Store not long ago. Okay. I don't think I've I actually. Mean, pre- I, I think I've actually only like pre-registered. Would talk about it, right? If it came out, it's got to be know. like five people that care about a mobile Diablo game. Let's see, Diablo Immortal uh, coming soon. Okay, coming soon. All right. Well, anyway, <laughs> stay stay vigilant out there. There's. I cannot believe we're still in full regression mode on microtransactions. Like Nintendo in their their innocence into the mobile game like i could see how they just are completely flubbing this but activision is going out of their way to be grimy about this shit i i I, one of the best things about the multiplayer was that you could progress and you can get interesting guns but the guns were always like well balanced so you can play like you'd unlock one and be like oh cool a new gun and then you play with it like oh you know it's not so good it's not as good as my old gun now you're not going to get that opportunity. <laughs> you're going to have to either get lucky or pay money. Um, and I, I I honestly was considering getting it because it was impressive how much goodwill and good press it was getting. And one of the reasons I really wanted to get it too is they announced Spec Ops was coming back and that's the mode that's either entirely or partially missing from the game on Xbox and PC. It's not <laughs> super clear because it's a part of spec ops called survival. And I don't know what that is. Cause there's no, it wasn't, there wasn't separate spec ops modes back in the day. It was just spec ops. Like there were missions that you could do in co-op. And I did them with a good friend of mine and we were talking about how they were coming back and we were both excited and yeah. And no. now I, I don't give a flying fuck about this game anymore. No, you don't, you don't get that. You don't get that anymore. That's not, there's no money in that. Yeah. yeah. There's no well, money to be made in making a game and selling it. <laughs> yeah, clearly not. I mean, Sony doesn't make first party games to huge success or anything. Yeah, but, you know, it's different there because. Um, what's your, what was uh, what's the next topic? <laughs> so different. Uh, so- there's. <laughs> All right. Um, no, I mean, no, we can stop bemoaning these these tyrannical fools for a minute. This, I think, we had a similar discussion in one of our earlier episodes. I'm sure there's going to be some overlap there. Um, you know, I'm I'm fine having the discussion as often as possible because a, there's always going to be new people that are going to want our extremely original hot takes on microtransactions. But <laughs> more importantly, I think it's just it's too easy to forget that this wasn't a thing 10 years ago or 15 years ago. This wasn't, you know, you think back to, it was last generation. It was because I remember like the big ones were oblivion with the horse armor. That one that everyone remembers the horse armor DLC. Yeah. The original cosmetic Uh, DLC. Yep. Everyone remembers, uh, Bioshock two having the on disc DLC. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think one of the, was it Street Fighter 5 that 
was one of the really early games to be released unfinished. And like they they were just like they released it with only like five fighters or something like that. I'm trying oh, to remember five, the details five. of Yeah, it was something really weird. Like the multiplayer wasn't done and there was only yeah. f- there was missing like half of the core fighters that everyone expects. And Dead Space 3 going turning into a survival crafting game with microtransactions <laughs> and like these are this is all just this is just last gen this isn't we're not going back far yeah just, w- once games could rely on you to have an internet connection and could you know reasonably say right, this guy probably all right let's just shovel it all in just shovel mm-hmm. it all in there see what we can get away with and that's like because like someone you know someone who just started playing games the last 10 years it's they don't remember that it wasn't like this. It doesn't have to be this way. Yeah, no, that's a good point. <laughs> Madden games will, will just used to be mad. To yeah, no, we won't. No. But like, like, I feel bad, especially for kids who like really into Madden or FIFA or the NBA games. Like, I remember playing. Oh God, I had a lot yeah. of fun with the, the 2000s Maddens where you just bought them and then you owned them. And mm-hmm. then you played through and you had, uh, I think it was 08 when they added Superstar mode, which was a shit ton of fun in Madden. Yeah, yeah. There was a time not long ago where Ultimate Team wasn't microtransaction based, and now yeah. there's reports of people paying like ten thousand dollars to get the Ultimate Team. Yeah, preposterous for a game that comes out yearly. <sighs> so yeah, just any of you youngins out there, just remember <laughs> there was a time before now in in warmer, better days. Where none of this existed. It was was actually cooler back then because of the lack of global warming. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was, it was, everything was, was cool and, and breezy and the trees were a little (laughs) greener. Money used to sprout out of the ground. And they used to still make stuff with trans fat in them. So like snack case, take cakes tasted really good. (laughs) Like you guys never didn't have a flavor. You know, that's what they tell me, but like I, I distinctly remember McDonald's fries tasting better 10, 15 years ago. <laughs> and it can't just be because it was after going to karate and I was really excited that my mom was taking us to McDonald's. That can't be a part of it. It's definitely the trans fats. <laughs> I think your your body was just craving the salt. Constantly. 100%. <laughs> that hasn't changed. <laughs> We've right. got a way off, way off top, topic here. Yeah, well, I mean, our next segment's almost entirely off topic, too. Hey, Andy. Hey. How are you feeling today? Okay. Feeling all right. What is, what's, what are your feelings about, how do you feel about, what are your feelings about alien stock at Area 51? Alien stock. Alien stock? I'm just reading. Oh, alien! The oh, alien! Stop! I'm. I'm. Oh, aliens! Oh, like separate... one word. Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. It makes sense to me now too. I I read it as written. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Domingo. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Alien stock. Okay. I'm thinking like stock of alien things at Area 51. Investments in aliens. At Area 51. Like I thought. Was there she some just part of this I completely stuck. missed? I thought it was a- since it's like a rescue, like aliens. Yeah, aliens are stuck at Area Fifty One. Yeah, <laughs> I, as a kid, I was obsessed with Area Fifty One. I loved the idea of it that there was this secret base in the middle of the desert that could have anything in it. 
Like, just who knows what kind of crazy-ass shit the government was hiding in there. Because even even if it wasn't aliens, and I only kind of believed it was aliens at the time, but even if it wasn't aliens, it was experimental aircraft. Like, what kind of crazy experimental aircraft are there? Do they have hovercrafts? Do they build a hoverboard or, like, a land speeder? What do they fucking got over there? Oh, I was... I was so excited at the idea. Just, I remember I had a friend that because we were cool kids, we wouldn't go out to recess. We'd sit in the library instead. Um, and we would sit in the library did like fifth grade and just talk about area 51 and like what, what we think it would be like to go there and what kind of shit they've got under there. And do you think like you could sneak in there and see it? Or like, maybe they've got lasers. Like, <laughs> it, it, it like guard, a, guarding lasers. Like, like ones that would chop like, you into bits, like in Resident Evil. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. Laser, laser defenses, laser security, laser guns. I was convinced that they had lasers down there. Um, <laughs> and much like a lot of kids got got into, you know, Harry Potter in their formative years, or you know, get the Star Star Wars. I was really into the idea of Area Fifty One. That was like, I had a lot of alien stuff. I remember I had a little pendant that was made of pewter with an alien on it. Oh, wow. I was super into it. Yeah. You're definitely um, a subscriber. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I was, I was super into it. I didn't go to alien stock this year. Uh, if I'd lived closer, I probably would have like, if I were, if I was like, you know, single and had, had that kind of freedom to just get up and take a trip in the middle of the week. <laughs> Cause it, it seemed like a fun, especially seeing like the pictures of people just kind of hanging out and holding up weird signs about aliens and, just generally having a good time like i like those kind of stories yeah where just people get together usually from the internet and just kind of defy expectations and have a reasonably good time yeah and yeah. don't do anything too weird or evil <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm glad it evolved into what it was because at first it was just like an annoying meme and then everyone was like no we're actually gonna go and i was like oh that'll probably be fun actually hmm i i, I loved that one image of the kid naruto running behind the reporter yeah that just made it for me that was great <laughs> i'm glad someone was able to pull that off because that because that was it like that that right there was all you needed for the story to wrap itself up mm-hmm. like if that was all that came out of it was just a reporter goes out there and there's like two people and one of them runs behind the reporter like that i would have considered the whole meme a success <laughs> <laughs> this is all worth it but to have it actually be a fun event and i hope it's something that like it'd be interesting if that's something they just start doing yearly just yeah. every year get there and, and another raid area 51 type thing maybe raise some money or something like that who knows mm. but yeah they're planning a more legit thing too in vegas from what i heard hmm. like raiding yeah. vegas or just doing a larger event in vegas no like the the original guy that set the whole like created the facebook event he, mm-hmm. I guess, got was working with some event coordinator and they couldn't get it all together for the the actual date. So they're ah. going to be doing something like later on in the year once they actually figure their shit out. But it's going to be in Vegas. Oh. And then I, I guess I that support would be it. the official Area 51 rate, <laughs> quote unquote. <laughs> in Vegas. In Vegas. <laughs> Convention center of the world. The, the only thing it needs is it just needs some some B level celebrity to show up and be kind of like their mascot. Oh yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure the Hoff will be there. Oh yeah. Why wouldn't he be? That'd be great. Yeah. 
We need some B-level celebrity to show up and just be kind of like the face of this thing, and we're fine. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's my thought. No, that's, yeah. I, I like it. I feel, I feel like I revealed a lot about myself here. I opened up to our listeners, and I hope they feel as vulnerable and... <laughs> <laughs> and they they feel how much I've put myself out there. Yeah, I I don't I don't know what that's like. The Being alien vulnerable? thing, not not yeah, oh, also okay. that, especially <laughs> that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I I remember watching like uh like Nat Geo shows about aliens and thinking that they were real when I was like eleven. Like, oh mm-hmm. wow, it's on Nat Geo. It must be real. And I sure that <laughs> of course I'm sure that's what like forty year olds in Alabama still think, but um <laughs> you know, once I got over that I had like no exposure to aliens at all. So I was curious, like I was just sort of trying to gauge temperature of like what this was about. Like if it was gonna be like uh a fucking like lo- bunch of Looney Tunes going down there, actually trying to raid the place. And then when it was became super apparent that it was just a bunch of people that wanted to fucking sit around and do stupid shit. Like then I was like, yeah, dude, that sounds cool. <laughs> now I'm into this. Now I'm into this. <laughs> I, I just like, I don't know. As, as soon as people start taking things too seriously, it's always like, this isn't fun. Well, I get worried because then like there's the actual risk of someone trying to jump a fence or run into a military facility. Yeah, right. And then there's the chance someone's going to get hurt. And, and they and- shut the whole thing down because one douche hole that misunderstood the entire thing. Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad I'm glad it ended up turning out OK. No one got hurt. No one was shot or tased by the government. All in all, a good time was had by all. So I've heard. <laughs> now, I, I've got a question for you. Uh, I don't have time for this. No, well, it's a quick one. Don't worry. <laughs> what are your feelings on poetry? <laughs> poetry? Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess, I guess it's, it's complicated. I, I respect the medium. I don't read poetry. Okay. Um, if, if I found it more gratifying to read it, I would read it more but i respect it <laughs> uh, <laughs> i used to, i back in back in the olden days in high school and early college i used to like writing poetry but it was always for class like i never went out and wrote poetry for fun um but like it, it was enjoyable while i was doing it and the stuff that i was reading i enjoyed and i liked that there was like subtext in such short form things um but other than that i mean it's like a dying art almost it's like (laughs) um it's almost like newspapers really like and nobody's ever talking about poetry yeah are people writing and uh reading poetry anymore yeah, I don't know. I mean, the last I heard, like, slam poetry was a thing in the 90s, and I think that's all but died off. You know, it's actually, there was, uh, I want to say last year or the year before, my hometown nominated and appointed its first poet laureate. This is not a big town. What are you talking it's about? It's not. It's not a big town. <laughs> Poor, isn't that, like, a legit job? Like, like the I, UK I think... has a poet laureate, like, for the entire country? Oh, I mean, I can uh, like the United States definitely does. 
they, you know, there's, I think each president has its own port, poet laureate or something like that. And they, uh, I don't know. So it's just a, just an honorary job. I'm guessing. So. Yeah. I think they, they like write poetry about the times. Maybe they, they built, I don't, new, I don't really know a what new they strip do. mall on West street. Oh, the joy. This is not a good poem. The end. <laughs> <laughs> that was a haiku. Probably. There I mean, was a, uh, Oh, go ahead. No, you, well, there was a, there was an author, a young guy in Connecticut. And I can't remember the author's name. Or the name of the book that he wrote. But I believe he also wrote poetry. And uh, he's been doing very well for himself. He's got, I want to say he was on Seth Meyers talking about his book. And he, like, he, I went to high school with him. Oh, really? Yeah. That's pretty interesting. Is he like a novelist and, primarily? Yeah, he wrote a novel about growing up because he immigrated here i don't remember from where um but it was a story basically kind of like a, a semi-autobiographical story about immigrating here and family and that kind of thing mm-hmm. uh, but i was interested in it just because it references so many places that i know from around here and i went to in high school growing up but it sounds like he's coming at them from a different uh <laughs> a much less positive happy memory <laughs> which you know maybe that just says something about me and the way i grew up but uh, yeah, that reminds me, if you ever watch the show, uh, you're the worst. No. So there's, so one of the characters is a former military and one, in one of the episodes, it tells a story, uh, just from the same perspective. It usually does like, uh, it's like, um, multi-camera like jumping around or I guess it's single camera if it's, there's no audience but anyway it, it jumps around between the characters a a story b story all this stuff just it goes about its, its normal thing the next episode after that was was told from his perspective as someone who was like experiencing like re-experiencing like heavy ptsd and depression so you saw the exact same episode just told from his point of view and like through this fog that he was living in and so all the exact same events played out just like with a completely different vibe. And I think it was like one of the most like poignant, impactful episodes of a sitcom I'd ever fucking seen. Hmm. I might have to check that out. So that's just reminded me of that. I, I like to sing the praises of that show anytime I get the chance. So I think it's really underappreciated. It's on FX. Or FXXXX. One of those. One of the two. One of those. Yeah. Ocean Vuong, V-U-O-N-G, is the name of the uh, the guy who was from or went to school in Glastonbury. Oh, he sure. just won a MacArthur Genius Grant. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm, I'm suddenly regretful of the fact that I don't read more. I always, I've always enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, let's not belay the point anymore. Everyone read more yeah. poetry. Go go to your nearest library. Get a library you card. Know, there, was actually, there was a very short-lived series. I want to say it was on The Escapist. Where, uh, on the topic of poetry, each episode, Jim Sterling and Yahtzee did a poem about games. Really? Yeah. I remember it being entertaining. 
I, I know Yahtzee fancies to... himself a bit of a writer. Is Jim Sterling as well? I don't know if he if he's done any. I've I've read Yahtzee's books. I've read all but one of them, and I enjoy them. Aren't some of them like I think, audio I think he's only actually, or something? He has a couple that like he published. Uh, like he published them on Audible first. Hmm. But yeah, check out check out Jim Sterling and uh, I think it's called like Jim and Yahtzee's Rhyme Down Spectacular. Actually, I, I will I want to end this with a poem that Jim Sterling wrote uh, on February second, twenty seventeen, and this this is from his Twitter feed. Secretly, I dream of you. I want to feed you chicken stew. Could these feelings lead to more? Twenty points to Gryffindor. <laughs> I wonder whose perspective that's that's read from. <laughs> I, I don't know. I I just love it. I I think about that poem fairly frequently. <laughs> uh, beautiful. Twenty points indeed, Andy. <laughs> All right, you ready for the showcase, motherfucker? Yeah, you want to talk about control? Why don't you tell us about control? Yeah, control's great, dude. That's all I got. Good. Moving on. All right. Well, awesome. Um, <laughs> let, oh, no, I, I did have one question. But like, how great, though? <laughs> oh, super great. So Control uh, controls by uh, Remedy of Europe. I actually don't remember. I think they're a French studio, but I'm probably wrong. No, there. I think they're from Norway. Norway. That's totally I, it. I, I think. Norway and sure. France are essentially the same country. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, Remedy's Remedy's got a long history of uh, single player story based uh, sort of ambient, uh, slightly suspenseful um, action games, starting with most famously Alan Wake on the 360, uh, the Quantum Break a few years back, and then recently Control. One thing to note talking about these is they all actually exist in the same universe even though they're very i think i think you may have missed a single player narrative based game that remedy was also uh also partially involved in oh i know i did i know i did yeah yeah it's a death rally that wasn't what i was thinking of what do you know you're thinking of max Payne? Is what is what you're thinking of? You're well, thinking of Max before, Payne, but yeah, yeah, they they made Max Payne one and two. <laughs> Death Rally. What yep. the fuck is that? <laughs> it's a top-down racing game that they made in the '90s, and then uh, before Max Payne, and then they did a <laughs> like a Steam re-release Just, back in 2010. The uh, the game that injected money for their future endeavors. Yeah, Just, yeah. To, to fund Alan Wake's American Nightmare, they re-released <laughs> Network. <laughs> Uh, sorry i'm throwing you entirely off here yeah yeah no everything's been said now um no uh control (laughs) so control control sort of like the pinnacle of all of these weird sci-fi uh suspenseful games where you basically infiltrate this the bureau of control this fake uh bureau that sort of um literally controls all the oddities coming out of the the world and it's very much like this brain-bending 4d story it's not like like oh they suppress news about werewolves it's like oh no there's a giant triangle from another dimension that's giving orders to this bureau and you have (laughs) this gun that's an extension of 
you know, all of these realities and has also been the same weapon of like legend throughout history, including like Thor's hammer and all this shit. So it's, it's very, (laughs) it's very much like, like, I I don't know how to put it. It's, it's fucking out there. And I, I ate it up so much. Like it didn't pull any punches. It didn't try and be in a small, like confined genre. It literally just hit out at everything and was like, Every weird thing that you've, all of culture has ever experienced has an explanation. And it's even weirder than you thought it would be. And it's like, oh, okay, okay. I see where you're coming from. (laughs) I'm glad glad someone's endeavoring to explain all of it. (laughs) Because I have several questions. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure there's an answer in control, honestly. Because they've explained far more than I could ever possibly imagine. Um, Or at least (laughs) made up their own explanations. But anyway. Yeah, so I mean, the game's a third-person action adventure, I guess, where you're literally in the bureau inside the bureau of control, um, which is called the the oldest house, which is one of these other enigmas in the universe. Um, I actually read a really interesting article that I retweeted about how the, it, even like the name "oldest house" is probably a misinterpretation of Odin's horse, which is like. Yggdrasil in Norse mythology, which is the world tree. Like, there's just so much shit like that. It's just what, like, and this is just this giant brutalist building that just it makes itself known to people who are either worthy or, you know, really need to find it or stuff like that. It, man, I could go on all day about all the cool, weird shit in that <laughs> game. But the point being, is that it, it honestly none of it comes across as corny. Um, the action is phenomenal because you get basically get superpowers slowly over the course of the game. You get the ability to pick up okay. ob- objects, which um, can be fucking anything. Um, now, now let me let me jump in here because I can pick up objects. <laughs> well, you can pick up. So basically, with your mind, you can tear. Ah, that's different. Tear out entire like like control centers from this giant motherboard um, and throw them at enemies and they explode stuff like that. And I was honestly shocked by how much stuff in the game you could tear out of like the walls and out of like circuitry and shit. It was all very cool. Um, Eventually you get the ability to fly. You can like create shields out of nothing. You basically become a superhero slowly over the course of the game. And I eat that shit up so much. There's nothing cooler than eventually becoming like a God in a video game and like feeling like it correctly. Not just like the JRPG Mm -hmm. method where you're dealing bigger numbers, but like literally floating around like Jesus fucking raining death on people. Truly amazing. Anyway. Now I may have gone to a different Sunday school than you again, not to correct you (laughs) again, but that is not the way I remember Jesus specifically. <laughs> well, I, I did go to an inner city school, so <laughs> our Jesus. Is I, I, I was different. not. Uh, yeah, I was going to say mine. I don't remember the part of any of those books <laughs> where, you know, John wrote in his letter to the Thessalonians about Jesus <laughs> raining down hell from on high. <laughs> like that, you missed the best books then, Andy. <laughs> I did. Clearly my Bible was missing some of the coolest parts. <laughs> Bitch ass school robbed you. Yeah. 
They probably didn't want me to know how rad Jesus really was. <laughs> he was fucking tubular, man. Um, <laughs> he sounds it. <laughs> um, but yeah, you, you quickly become like the most important character in the Bureau. Like that's almost the first thing that happens. Um, I'm not going to spoil anything because I think this game is like truly should be appreciated by every human. Um, I will say wow. uh, before I let you get to your questions that it is also quite buggy. Um, I definitely had some issues mm. in that regard. Um, if you're curious, I can go more into it, but um, so it's not like a perfectly polished game, but it, I must say it was one of the most interesting stories. Um, one of the most interesting universes and very fun combat and et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, questions. So, how much of the game is ripped off of the 2004 game PsyOps the MindGate Conspiracy? <laughs> uh, from what I understand, you can pick up things with your mind in that game and throw them. <laughs> yes, that's true. So, uh, t- okay, torn, okay. Torn from you the headlines. Damn, you didn't fall into my trap. I was hoping to steer <laughs> the conversation just directly to talking about PsyOps the MindGate Conspiracy. No, because I love again. that game. No. Not again. Okay. <laughs> That's fair. I fall into this trap one too many times. All right. So, um, how well does the narrative stitch in with the action? Cause I know that that's something that remedy has gotten some criticism from before where there, some of their work games feel very much like here's the narrative bit and now here's the action bit and they don't really <laughs> weave them together very well. They're, Even though they're both good on their own. Yes. And I will say that that's still pretty much exactly the case. They're very much two different parts of the whole, and they don't necessarily add up to greater sum than their parts. It's just very much the story is super good. The combat is super good. Um, and that's pretty much it. Um, in, in this game, though, it's like semi open world and that you can revisit places and like enemies will spawn over in the same areas. So like you go into a big room, you know, there's going to be a fight. There's almost always going to be a fight there. Um, OK, there's not a lot of like major bosses that have to relate to the story. Um, there's only a handful. And I think they're actually the bigger bosses are honestly side quests. So you can experience like as little or as much combat as you want. Like you could also make, uh, it, there's no difficulties on it either. So that's like, if you're having trouble with it, you just don't do the side quests. All it's going to give you is like new abilities. Okay. How, how linear on the topic of the side quest, like how linear and open is it? Um, Without say- giving away too much. I would say uh, the healthiest amount without being annoying. Like the game doesn't feel empty at all at any point. Um, even though there's point, there's areas that are literally supposed to feel empty. Like there's still stuff to do in those places. <laughs> um, so you, you you often have to revisit areas. It's it's a bit like a metroidvania in a lot of ways you'll find doors that you just can't go through but you can go back to them and open them later uh, my problem okay. with a lot of those is that they're not very rewarding whereas like in metroidvanias you might get like a new weapon or a new ability or like a plus stat upgrade 
in this, a lot of times when you go back to visit and like explore areas that you couldn't get into before because you've got like a higher security clearance or the ability to fly, um, usually you go in and you just find more mods for your gun or yourself. Um, so there's actually equipment in this game, the guns and mods, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I thought it was, it was a healthy amount of replayable. The game's also not long enough to be exhausting like a uh like an assassin's creed odyssey where the game the world's just fucking huge so you're already spending 60 hours just getting from point a to point b doing the story Mm -hmm. um so i think the game and all of its content are like 20 hours um and the 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 okay the oldest house itself is like five or six levels and each level is quite fucking big um so I, I guess I can't say more other than I think I thought it was a healthy amount of open world without being like open, open, open. Okay. Okay. I think that kind of, that kind of answers that question. Now, how do you feel the narrative compares? Cause you played quantum break and Alan Wake, right? Uh, not Alan Wake actually, which I regret. Oh, really? Now. Cause yeah. Oh yeah. No, of... Alan Wake's quite good. Hmm. Now, I guess, how would you say the narrative compares to, to quantum break, quantum break? Or quantum Boyke, quantum uh, in just in terms of tone and themes. Um, a lot of times I thought Quantum Break was a bit melodramatic and like um, I, I don't know. It was very much telling like a movie story, whereas Control right. is like the video game of video games. Like it's telling an absurd story. It doesn't go in over overly into the characters. Um, because like the characters, the characters are fine in this. I, I, I will say that the story itself is the shining star and it's mostly because of the mystique of the story. Um, the characters are fine. It doesn't try and like deep dive into every single fucking character because it's a video game. Um, not that that's always a bad thing, but in some games when it like borders into melodramatic, like in quantum break, then it gets exhausting. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was better than quantum break in every way. Um, the time mechanics in quantum break were quite cool, but, um, I think what I liked more about quantum break was the, or I liked in quantum break was the combat more than the story anyway. And control just has a mega version of the combat and a really, really interesting story to boot. Okay. How how is the narrative done? Like how how is it actually how how is that narrative moved along? Like is it just through conversations? Is it cutscenes? Is it lore dumps? Is it like reading codexes? <laughs> I'm not gonna lie to you. There's a lot of like codex like things in the form of like um, like files that you'll pick up um, that as collectibles. Um, there's like over a hundred of them. So you're going to be doing a good amount of reading, but honestly, I was so interested in this universe that I read every single fucking one. But to answer your question, um, it's very much told, um, sort of through like stream of consciousness, like the, the main character thinking and talking to herself and talking to her ally that I won't get into much detail about. Um, and then you'll find someone 
like in the bowels of what you would think like no one could survive and then you're just like oh hey like hey what are you, what are you doing here and then that'll move the story along um i think is that, that all done in in game in engine like while you're actively playing yes there are very they, so at the end of every mission you'll have sort of have like this teaser almost teaser trailer that'll run but it doesn't really convey much story it's just sort of like what to expect from the next chapter but yeah there's very few cinematics which is stark comparison to quantum break which literally had live action cutscenes, (laughs) right not not cutscenes, full tv episodes after certain portions of that game it's not that at all like quite the opposite (laughs) (laughs) okay yeah, much more organically done, I, I I must say, but also fairly minimalistic in that, like, like I've, I've griped about before in previous episodes, like Halo, like not telling that interesting of a story and then expecting you to want to read more into it. This tells a really interesting <laughs> story as minimalistically as possible and then gives you like the same sort of tools like oh there's just lore everywhere and i read all of it because it was so interesting is reading through that lore necessary to understand the game and to follow along or could someone who's not interested in reading a, reading through the codex actually still enjoy it oh yeah yeah absolutely so like the, the main main part of the story is literally you're trying to find and save your brother and so none of that is conveyed through the um any of the codexes, it just sort of expands on everything that's already happening. Um, once you go into like a new zone, you'll find files that are about that zone and why they're, why these objects are here, these mysterious things that exist in this universe and all that, that sort of stuff, like where they came from, the damage that they've done previously. Um, so you, you basically get background on like every environment that you're in. And I must say, one of the cooler things is that like almost every room is its own unique biome, and but they're biomes in that they're like rooms in a brutalist building. Like it's not like you go and there's just a jungle in one fucking room. They're all still rooms in a building, but they're all super unique and interesting in their own ways. Hmm. Is it all? I'm trying to think of a way to phrase the question without giving away too much is it all a single setting or like is it all a single map like a contiguous you are on one map that you can travel from one end of to the other like a metroidvania or is it like individual zones that okay you're in area one and you play through all of that and then you move on to area two and you play through all of that if you can kind of give that without giving away too much yeah, I mean, you can in this game, you can go straight from the entrance of the building all the way to like the top floor and roam around there. But it, it's definitely like a floor based. So when you're on one floor, all you can see on the map is that one floor. Um, but then you can come back and revisit the whole floor later on. But yeah, it's it's all contiguous. Most of it's around the central elevator. Um so you can get from floor two to floor five pretty quickly, stuff like that. Hmm. Okay. That seems pretty fair. Hmm. How it is the, how organic does that psychic mind moving combat feel? Does that, 
feel easy to control, easy to throw everything around without it feeling too like. Because I, I remember playing, you know, some of the Force Unleashed games. You know, some of the powers would feel very deliberate and not natural. <laughs> yeah, no, I I must say it was very easy to use. Some abilities are more useful than others, but like the the levitation or the uh, the psychic, you know, pulls and stuff. Those all worked really well. Um, it's all just bound to like the right bumper. And then once, once you get a lock on a character, like, you know, you're good to throw it. Um, so it's, it's pretty simple and it feels really good. Like as soon as you, <laughs> basically you'll get a diamond on a hero and then, you know, that like whatever you pulled off of, you know, like whatever, like the side of an entire column you've torn off <laughs> is ready to be thrown and then you just chuck it at him and it fucking crushes his goddamn bones into bust or dust. Feels great. <laughs> and is that is that what, those kind of moments of and things that you can interact with and pull down naturally in the environment? Oh yeah, hundred percent like, of the time. Like they don't they don't feel like you just happen to be in a room with nine refrigerators. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the thing. Like because you're in this giant bureau, there's so many like weird you know bits and bobs that they feel very organic. But also, if for whatever reason, there's no stuff, you can literally tear out pieces of the wall and you just have like like a chunk of fucking rebar that you can throw at somebody. <laughs> that sounds pretty rad. It is. The best part, I think the coolest part of the game was when you unlock the ability, the upgrade for that ability, where you can then grab rockets out of the air and throw them back at people. I oh now that sounds pretty neat. Shit, my pants the first time that happened because I didn't really I got the ability, but I wasn't really aware what was happening. So I thought I was just grabbing like a fucking I don't know like a rolling cart or something from the side and picking it up. And I used the ability. I like at the last second saw a rocket, and then I saw my hand go towards the rocket, and I just fucking grabbed it out of the air, held it in the air for a second, and threw it right back at the dude. And I was like, oh, that's it. That's the one. Oh, that's 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 a neat, that's fucking cool. Yeah, yeah, comes in handy later too. Pro tip. So, would you? Um, I take it you'd recommend Control. Control is easily one of the top games I've played this year. I cannot believe how much fun I had with it. I definitely enjoyed it more than Quantum Break, and I like Quantum Break quite a bit. Um, so, I would argue that it's Remedy's best game. Um, it's not perfectly polished, but yeah. Uh, literally everyone should play it it's it is a little bit hard at times there's no difficulty settings that's the only fair warning i have for you okay and you were playing it on xbox yep okay yeah i I just realized i don't think we actually had said that (laughs) it it handles really well as a third person shooter on xbox um because there's like you, you just have to be in the general area of like when shooting um and also the uh the uh, pulling ability locks on. So it felt really good on console. I'm sorry if you already said, is it cover based? No, no. Okay. You can use, you can crouch and like use cover in the environment to, you know, stop getting shot, but it, you don't like leap in in and out of cover. Like you wouldn't gears of war. Okay. You're not snapping on or anything like that. Yeah. No snapping. Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah. I realized I had actually no idea about that one. (laughs) Fair question. I, I'm pretty sure, actually, I'm like 95% sure that was the case in Quantum Break. But for some reason, I'm not confident. 
It's been a while. It's been like four years. Yeah, that was, uh, I think that, I think four years sounds about right. 2015, 2016. Uh, that answers all my questions. Was there anything else you wanted to say about control? Uh, no, I think we covered, we covered all my notes. So good, good job on the questions, Andy. Um, Thanks. yeah, so, uh, highly recommended, especially if you like the, the, the brain bending shit. Um, it's not, it's not like, you know, the X files where it's like, you know, the truth's fucking out there. It's like every, everything is possible. Cool, cool game. Play it now. All right. Shall we talk about Link's Awakening? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Link's Awakening is an interesting one. And I think this may be the first, and granted, yeah, we're only 15 episodes in, 14 episodes in, but I think this might be the first game that isn't technically a new game that we've done. Unless you count, uh, this, is that right? Final Fantasy 14 Shadowbringers, which is an expat. Or my accidental episode about, um, Earth Defense Force 5. <laughs> Just from last year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so this is an interesting one because it is a complete remake of Link's Awakening for the Game Boy and Game Boy Color. Which is, uh, it, this is Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening. It is a top-down 2D Zelda game in the style of the older Zelda games. Link to the Past, Zelda, the Legend of Zelda, and what the hell is the other one I'm thinking of? A Link Between Worlds. Oh yeah, the newer one. As 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 the main top downs, and they had a bunch for the the Game Boy Advance, the Oracles Oracle and seasons, Minish Oracle Caps, Ages, Minish Cap, yeah, yep, uh, and the Phantom Hourglass, Phantom Toll Booth, all those. Um, <laughs> Check <laughs> checks out. Yeah. Makes sense. Uh, this this is very much as it was made at that time, and I think Link's Awakening was originally going to be a Game Boy port of Link to the Past before they kind of ported, you know, spun it off into its own thing. There's actually a really interesting gaming historian video that I'd recommend anyone who likes Zelda check out about Link's Awakening. Hmm. It's a really really interesting story. Yeah, because it's that. a much more it's a much more lighthearted. There's like a lot of jokes in it and a lot of fourth wall breaking like there's like a yoshi doll that you can get in there as part of the main quest story <laughs> weird yeah there's uh like you can walk up to a kid and he'll say like hold down a to charge up hold down a to charge up your shot but don't ask me what that means i'm just a kid or something <laughs> like you know, that kind of very very nintendo fourth wall breaking dialogue <laughs> <laughs> who told you to say that yeah <laughs> who's talking to you in the night little boy there's you run to goombas from mario and a little cameo from uh professor wright from the old sim city games what like it, it's there's a lot of cameos and jokes in there it's, it, the tone of it is very different from other zelda games despite being a, a, a straight-up zelda game and zelda in case you're not aware this is in the vein of classic Zelda games. So you have an overworld with about nine dungeons on it. And you continue to progress through the overworld, going one dungeon at a time, each time getting a new item or ability, which allows you better exploration through the overworld and allows you to get to the next dungeon, eventually collecting the nine magic MacGuffins that allow you to go fight the big bad and beat the game. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, yeah, it's a, that, that's basically how a Zelda game works, right? Yeah, that sounds Zelda. That kind of covers it. 100%. Yeah. Top down, you've got a sword and a variety of other weapons that you use to kill stuff. Eventually um, get the, the combat. sword, I assume. Yep, yep. Uh, you, you've got your combat is slash sword at them. It, there's no <laughs> complicated combos or anything like that. It's slash sword or take damage. Uh, they... And because it is like it is a one to one remake for the most part of Link's Awakening, so secrets are exactly where they were. The tiles are exactly laid out the way they were, with a couple of exceptions. So it it, it is and it isn't a new game. It's very weird. <laughs> uh, I I I made a list of what they added and changed, and I'll I want to hit a couple of them just because they're it's very interesting for a Zelda game. Um, the old Zelda games had, were almost like they were screen based. So you were on a screen that was, you know, whatever, 12 by 12, 12 tiles by 12 tiles or however big it was. And you, you would have North, South, East, West, and up down as possible exits. And those would take you to the next screen, which was the next room, either on the overworld or in a dungeon. Mm. They've gotten rid of that. So now there are no there are no over transitions in the overworld area, and a lot of the dungeon areas don't have transitions either. So That's it's cool. just kind of, yeah, everything feels more fluid and connected, which is interesting, mm-hmm. and and it screws me up occasionally because I I've I played through Link's Awakening four or five times on Game Boy. Oh wow! Like it was it was one of my go to play during summer break games. Yeah, Jesus! Every summer break, holy! Oh shit. yeah, I was. I loved that game, uh, and I, I get I get messed up occasionally because I'm used to the screen layout being like, okay, this thing here where the secret's supposed to be is two from the top and you know two left and one down from the top, but that's on a on a screen based system yeah. when it's more fluid. You don't have that clear. That's the corner anymore. Did Did you have a lot of experiences like that where you remembered exactly where secrets were? Oh yes, yeah. Oh, wow, it's. I mean, I'm sure you remember from like playing Pokemon where you're just walking around like, oh, no, I know there's a, there's a there's a Pokeball behind that tree. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You just 100 percent. You know, it's right there. Yeah. Like and then if you I had that when going back and playing, uh, you know, Let's Go Pikachu, where you're walking around the theater. Was like, oh, it should be right there. It should be right behind that tree there. Mm-hmm. And yep. yep, there it is. There it is. The old Zelda, you had A and B because it was a Game Boy game. And so all of your weapons and abilities were mapped to either A or B, and you would swap them out constantly. Mm-hmm. So if you had your sword and shield out, you couldn't have any other abilities to use. In this one, they've mapped a lot of the buttons. So sword is just always on B, shield is always on right shoulder. And mm-hmm. then you have X and Y that you can assign to two other things, which oh, completely great. changes the, the combat. Because you always have your sword and shield available, and then you can also pull out the bow and arrow or the bomb or, you know, the your anything else that you want to use. So that the the combat is a lot easier, and you don't have to keep switching between items like you've had to do in some Zelda games, like when you're progressing through an area. Yeah, go in and take off the choo choo bombs. Yep. <laughs> And then, oh, wait, no, okay, I gotta switch. Okay, now I get to this room, switch to the hook shot, get across. Okay, now in the next room, switch to the bonnet. Like, you don't have to do that. It's They've yeah. made that a lot easier. One of the other things Blast. they've done, which is amazing, and I hope they do this for every Zelda game going forward, is this, in the dungeons, when you solve a puzzle in a room, like you move the blocks around to open a door, it's just solved. 
if you die and go back to the beginning of the dungeon, doesn't matter that room's solved. The door's just open, just walk through. Everything doesn't reset when you leave and re-enter the dungeon, or you leave and re-enter the room. Yeah, they did that in Breath of the Wild, didn't they? That that maybe oh, Breath of the Wild didn't have the same kind of like lo- longer dungeon structure. Yeah, I guess even the the dungeons that they had were very much um, not that long. But they, I, it, I think it still did remember your like solutions. Yeah, yeah, I think there was less. The dungeons I think were a little bit more linear. So you weren't constantly backtracking, going from the beginning back out. Then you can go to this area, then go back to the beginning. Yeah. They'll go through, you know, it, it was more point. of a linear progression. But so, mm-hmm. this was huge because I don't think they had that in Link Between Worlds. And I remember that driving me nuts. That is, that's a hot improvement for sure. <laughs> yeah, really good. Really good. And there's all, all, tons of little things. They added Amiibo functionality, which is dumb and you shouldn't yeah, do it. Right. They improved, like, now you can actually, like a lot of games have now, where you can go and see a log of all the conversations you've had, so you don't have to go walk all the way back just to re-have the same conversation with someone because you forgot what they said. Hmm. hmm. Little, little little things like that. That reminds me of a really random feature, and I don't know if any other games have done this, other than maybe some modern games more subtly, but... Final Fantasy 2 had this feature where you could like pick learn certain words and then when you talk to certain people you would have different dialogues if you knew the word or not and it would be like highlighted. I know you, like in modern like uh like open world JRPGs you'll get new dialogue options and stuff. That's essentially the same thing, but I always thought that was like the coolest feature and then I just never saw it again. That does sound interesting. I, I kind of want to go and look into that and see see that in practice. Yeah, yeah. So basically you talk to somebody like in in a random place, like in a bar or something, and they just mention offhand like, oh, go to like the Heartwood Forest. And like suddenly you knew about the Heartwood Forest. So like your dialogue would change with fucking everyone. Uh, oh, be, like, interesting. Underlined and stuff. And I think there was some interaction with the word itself. I don't remember how it worked exactly, but I remember it being really unique. And even And I didn't play it like on NES. I played it like when it re-released on PS1. So like, there was plenty of JRPGs out at that time. Neat. Well, I, I'm going to check that out. I, I don't, I've yeah. never played two, so I, I would definitely be interested to see how something that early on hit that kind of dialogue change. Yeah. Curious how that holds up. But anyway. Hmm. Uh, yes, yeah, so that, that's my kind of summary of what's going on in, uh, in Link's Awakening. All right. Well, so uh, questions. Is the style jarring at all? Link looks a bit like fucking Pinocchio in that game. <laughs> it you get used to it in about ten seconds. Okay, it, it's very quick. How because there's a uh, there's a little animated intro, which the original game had as well. And this is much oh, nicer cool. looking, and then it just dumps you right into in game. And I, and oh, I didn't want to explain. The general story is you're Link. You're sailing across the ocean somewhere. Uh, a storm hits and you end up shipwrecked on uh Koholand Island. So game doesn't game does not take place in Hyrule. Zelda is not in it at all. Ganon is not in it at all. Hmm. Um, this is actually pretty unique amongst. Yeah. Oh, it's a very, it's very different from a lot of the other Zelda games, which is why it always stood out for me as one of my favorites. Cause I played 
uh, most all of them other than kind of the ones that are harder to get in the United States. Yeah. And uh, this one always stood out to me as just a like, this is a very different experience. No, there's there's not like sailing mechanics in it like there is in Wind Waker, right? No, 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 no. You just you start the game and that that's the the premise is you're shipwrecked on this island. Is it? I it's been a while since I looked at the uh, the lineage and where all the games fall in the timelines and stuff. But is this link the same link as any other timeline? Oh, God, I have no clue. <laughs> I, guess I don't I don't know which of the which of the storylines, which of those three branching paths this one ends up on. I never, I never studied the timeline and, and flow chart it's, when that, uh, when that all got released. It is quite interesting for, for people who don't know link sort of gets reincarnated every like a thousand years or something, something I forget how they explain it, but in all of the legend of Zelda games, you're not playing as the same link or the same Zelda with few exceptions. It's very, uh, look, very, very interesting. I'm checking. Okay, so this looks like... Um, uh, okay, so after Ocarina of Time, you have the two timelines of the hero is successful or the hero is defeated. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the hero is defeated timeline that takes place after A Link to the Past. So th- this is the same link as in a link to the or link to the past, and oh, it takes place afterwards. This is the era of light and dark, according to <laughs> this timeline I'm looking on here. What's the other timeline called? Um, this is Hyrule's decline in the last hero. There's under the hero is successful. You have the dark world and hero's descendants, which is where Majora's Mask is. Or the Hero of Wind in a New World, which is where the Wind Waker and Tingle's Balloon Flight are. <laughs> Tingle's Balloon Flight? Okay. Well, not to get too much into the lineage of the entire franchise. I'm sure that's not yeah. interesting to listen to, but uh, <laughs> it's it's truly a wild thing to behold and very unique in the industry. Um, is it new enough to justify being on the list, or is it just a stylized remaster? Ah, that's really tough. It, it's very hard to say because I, I I can't even really think of something to compare it to because it's not a remaster. It is a fully rebuilt game from scratch. Mm. Um, and so it, it, and it's not it's not like Let's Go Pikachu where they took the premise of the game and reinvented it. It literally is the same game. But it's also entirely new and rebuilt. I would say that it should go on there because I think, I believe that this game can stand on its own without context. Mm. So, like, I'm not to go off on a huge tangent here, but like, I'm a big believer that for a movie to be considered great, it needs to be able to be watched without context. I like I don't think that Lord of the Rings the Two Towers can be a great movie on its own because I don't think it makes sense if you haven't seen Fellowship of the Ring. I don't think you can just take a random person and dump them right into Two Towers and then just have them watch it. Yeah. And so like I see the Lord of the Rings trilogy as a great series of films, but I don't I, I don't believe that the second or third one can be great on their own be, 
because they can't be enjoyed on their own. They have to kind of be enjoyed as part of a larger piece. Mm. That's fair. And, and I think, I think a lot of remasters that come out now, like this is a bad example because it's the games weren't all that great to begin with, but the crash bandicoot remasters, I feel like you can't enjoy those without context. Like you kind of need someone to explain to you like, Hey, this, this isn't actually a new game. This is a remake of an old game. So view it through those eyes. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's and, why it's stupid and hard. Yeah, Weird. That's what, that's why these mechanics are kind of awkward feeling and the jumping is horrible. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. like, I think that Link's Awakening could just be handed to someone as as just a Zelda game. This is just a Zelda game that exists because mm. I don't think that its mechanics are so outdated or so different or so obtuse that they wouldn't make sense for someone who's only known Breath of the Wild or has only known Link Between Worlds yeah. or someone who just who's only played Top Ten. So I, I would say it it can stand on its own and that it would deserves to be on the list. Okay. I think it's a pretty major sure. release as well. Yeah, it definitely is. And I, I sort of go back and forth with like even Resident Evil 2, which is like a full fucking remake, like not even reminiscent of the original game. But right. Yeah. So so I mean, if if you feel like it deserves a spot, you're the one who played it. So good yeah. enough for me. And I do. So there. <laughs> All right. Moving on. Uh does this feel like a console game? It seems like it would have been a de facto 3DS game a few years back, but I guess they don't even pretend that that's a console anymore. Yeah, I can't imagine playing this on the big screen. I've only been playing this handheld. I don't think it makes sense on the big screen. I don't think top-down Zelda games make sense on the big screen. I think they make sense handheld. I think that's where they... <laughs> where I mean, obviously... down at it? <laughs> yeah. Obviously, you know, people who played Legend of Zelda or, you know, people who think that Link to the Past is the best in, in the series are going to disagree. But I think that it's top down games like this just do so well handheld because they're they rely on a small field of view. Mm -hmm. And a small field of view feels more natural handheld than it does on a 42 inch screen. Yeah, I've yeah. played I, I, I brought the original. Uh, I brought a Raspberry Pi into work, uh, and at work we've got a 70-inch TV on the wall. I was doing some computer stuff over the weekend, so I set the Raspberry Pi up and was playing the original Legend of Zelda on a 70-inch screen, and it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's <laughs> like you just feel like this is so needlessly large and silly. Yeah. This <laughs> you have to sit like four blocks away to appreciate it. Right. Whereas like I think like Breath of the Wild looks great on a large screen like that you know ocarina of time or majora's mask or twilight princess all make sense on large screens because they're these big games mm -hmm. but these top-down zeldas are, are big worlds but you're still it's a very small field of view and it's a very small experience i think that, that's my thought on it so yeah mm -hmm. i think it, it, it does, it's not a console game it's a it's a handheld game okay um it's sort of along those lines um I, I'm considering buying this for an upcoming flight. Can you think of any reasons why that'd be a bad idea? No. No, I think this is a great this is a great flight game. This is a great travel game. Uh Perfect. it's it's breezy, like the dungeons are quick. Uh I've had I had to look at a strategy guide once while I was going through here, and I felt very silly once it Yeah, I know. I've beaten it five times already. You know <laughs> All the hell. more reason to give you shit. 
it's one that every time I play through this game, like, oh, right, that's where it is. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, the second I looked at it, I was like, oh, yep, that's what you're supposed to do. That's where you need to go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just, but yeah, it's, it's, I think it'd be a great game for a flight. It's, it's breezy. You know, there's not a lot of, there's no real grinding. There's no real thing that you're going to feel like you want to take a break from it. You're just constantly making forward progress, new area. You're, there's, there's no point where you're going to feel like you've just spent the last two hours of your flight beating your head against a wall. Cool. Yeah. All right. That seems like I probably will buy it then. So I was originally mm-hmm. thinking about it getting Astral Chain, but that doesn't seem like a good flight game. But no, that that game, I, I that was actually I was trying to decide between that and this for this week, whether I was going to buy Astral Train or Zelda, because the one niggling point I've had with Zelda is that it's a, it's 60 bucks and it just there's yeah. just something deep inside of me that feels like it should be 40. <laughs> I mean, it was probably cheaper than 60 when it originally came out and not even just because of inflation, but <laughs> so it definitely seems yeah, feels grimy. Yeah, it does. It does. I mean. It, it's and I don't I and, and it's not fair because I don't think I'd feel that way if I didn't know it was a remake. Yeah, because I, I paid full price for Link Between Worlds. You know, I, I paid 60 for that. That was a great game. This is a equally story rich, content rich game. Mm. But because I know it's a remake, this is the part. Of, oh, you don't pay full price for remakes unless Activision <laughs> makes them. <laughs> Call back. Yeah, no, I I definitely understand that. But also just knowing that Nintendo games never seem to fucking depreciate in price. That's just like, well, I'm just fighting the tides here. Yeah. Like, I yeah, that, play this that's game. true. I don't care how shill I feel. Um, <laughs> you, You've basically already answered this, but is this a good entry point for people into the franchise? Oh, yeah. I think this would be a very good, very good entry point for someone. I think you can jump right into this and have a really good time without. And I think especially because it is its own self-contained story. It doesn't take place in Hyrule. It doesn't involve any of the big players. Um, I think that it's just its own self-contained story. You know, someone can jump into it without having to know anything about Zelda as a series or about um, Link as a character or the insane Zelda timeline and how things relate to each other and like that. <laughs> yeah, I, I almost feel bad bringing that up now because anyone who's listening and hasn't played a Zelda game is probably like, what? Huh? <laughs> no! No, thank you! <laughs> um, but yeah, ignore all that. It, it matters not at all in yeah. the actual yeah. storytelling. Yeah, I mean, that, that's all the questions I have. Anything you want to add about Link's Awakening? Uh, not really, no. I, I think it's a great game. I think it's, if you like this kind of game, you like Zelda, you like, especially if you like the top-down Zeldas, I think it's, I think it's the best one. I have fonder memories of the original one, just because that was like my entry to the series, and Mm -hmm. I've probably spent the most time playing that, and that game's super hard, whereas this one's just, you know, average hard. (laughs) So I, I put, it took me a lot longer to beat that game, but yeah, I think I think it's I think it's a, a top-notch game. I think if you're looking for this kind of experience, looking for just a fun, breezy game with there's no RPG elements, there's no branching storyline, there's just a, a honest to goodness, salt of the earth, top-down <laughs> adventure. <laughs> salt of the earth, top-down adventure. 
I would recommend it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's me. Uh, I think that that pretty much wraps it up then. Um, and any any final thoughts for the episode? Uh, we should probably put things in order. God damn it. I always forget about that. <laughs> Every time. All right. Let's do it. <laughs>